0: Good morning, family. How are you guys doing today? It is good to be here with you this morning. Um, Wow. Let's do this. Let's open up to Matthew chapter 19, and uh, we're going to jump right over there and read a few verses um, of Jesus' teaching, Matthew chapter 19. And as you do that, I just want to say, man, I'm so excited about um, what God is doing among his people Uh, Here at Graceway, but the truth is, like even beyond, there is a call, there is a move of the Spirit that is just echoing. You can kind of like feel and sense like the reverberation happening in the body of Christ. He is gearing up and strengthening his body, I believe, preparing for a move of God like we've not seen. And um, that's something that's exciting because he's moving us to new places, but it's also at the same time as he's preparing us. Anybody who's ever trained or prepared for anything, you know that training is challenging and it's stretching and it's, it's difficult at times, but it's so crucial to the ultimate performance to be ready to, um, to receive really what the Lord is bringing us into. And so as he changes us and as he's stretching us, um, these challenges will only be overcome. This is important to know. will only be overcome if we decide to take the action of embracing what he's doing. Because if we don't, he's not going to make you do it. This is a matter of deciding with your own free will. Do you hear it? Do you sense it? Do you want it? Are you going to move with it? He wants us. Let's read Matthew 19. It says this, starting in verse 1. Hang with me here, because we we're going to read through these verses, we're going to grab a principle that Jesus teaches here, and then we're going to see how this applies to us. Matthew 19, when Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee, and he went into the region of Judea, to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now this is Jesus' reply in verse 4. Haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh? Verse 6, so they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. But why then they asked him, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And then Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your heart your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. Let's pray for a moment. Jesus, I thank you for your instruction. I thank you for your love. I thank you that you have overcome everything in us that falls short of your glory and clothed us with your perfection. So today as we jump in your word and hear what it is that you are saying to us, Lord, let your words make an impression upon our heart, a lasting impression, God, that guides us even as we move forward. We love you in this place. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. You know, as I was reading this verse and contemplating um, marriage and this um, institution created by the Lord, um, I couldn't help, of course, think about um, my wedding day with Sly. And um, I, I go back to this day in Puerto Rico 15 years ago, and you can kind of remember, for those of you who are, who are married, going to that day and how nervous you feel, how excited you are, and depending upon how long you've been married, how ignorant you really were of what you were really getting into, because how many of you know when you are getting married, you have no clue what you're getting yourself into until, until you begin to experience it. And now, then we begin to realize. I remember as I was standing there, getting ready for the wedding, um, and then Sulai was supposed to be there for at 11 o'clock wedding, and 11.30 rolls around, and I'm kind of now starting to sweat, and uh, 12 o'clock noon comes around, and then they kept reassuring me, the family kept reassuring me, she's going to show up, she'll be here, this is Puerto Rico time. 12.30 shows up, two hours later, after the wedding was scheduled, is when my bride-to-be showed up that morning. I should have known that this was happening when the family started arriving arriving an hour after the wedding wedding was scheduled. (laughs) (laughs) So as we're standing there waiting, I'm standing with my best man and uh, the pastor who actually flew down uh, to be with us and to marry us. And um, he's standing there and we're just having some small talk. And I remember this little piece of advice he gave me. He said, you know, listen, I want to give you this little nugget to hold on to. You're, you're entering into new territory. This is uncharted waters for you. Remember this if you remember anything. You have a choice now at this point. As you go forward from this day, you can be happy or you can be right. But you can't be both. <laughs> Choose. Is <laughs> it just hitting now? <laughs> and boy, have I learned. That was so smart. Wow. <laughs> and I've heard other, other pieces of, of wisdom then, you might have heard this. Your wife is less likely to be ang- to argue with you if you're cleaning. <laughs> or, or this one, I, was, I heard this one. 90% of marriage, this is like dead accurate. 90% of marriage is just shouting, what? From the other room. <laughs> marriage is the one thing that allows you to annoy that one special person for the rest of your life. <laughs> or like this my wife would agree with this one marriage is having a best friend who doesn't remember anything that you say <laughs> but i swear i'm listening <laughs> i'm there <mayor>, i'm present <laughs> so marriage is marriage is a, an amazing thing because it is one of the two events or occurrences in our lives that literally changes who we are marriage and Marriage is this one of the things, and then the other is this, coming to faith in Jesus Christ. These are the two occurrences in life that literally change who we are as an individual. So both of these things are ordained by God, and Scripture teaches that both change our existence as as an individual. We're coming from from two entities into one, where Jesus said it's two, two individuals becoming one flesh It's no longer separate. There's no longer a barrier. You're connected. You're one. And it's hard to really grasp this because there's still physically two bodies, but he's saying one flesh or one entity. I think about like um, in the classroom this past week, we actually took a couple classrooms and we needed a bigger space. So we took the wall that divided the two classrooms. We took it down and now it's one room. So if you walk in there, especially not having known that there was ever a wall there, you look and you see one room. It used to be two, but it's just one now. So where does one end and the other begin? No, no. They're one. It's not that and then this. They've become one. And this teaching on marriage is, is so difficult to grasp because we've become one. But I can see two, but they're one. This is his word. So jumping into the scripture, what the Pharisees are communicating with Jesus is this. They actually approach him, not with the intention of learning or gleaning anything, but they're approaching Jesus once again to test him. Whenever the Pharisees are approaching him, it's with the intention to try to cause confusion, to disturb what he's doing, to break away his following because he had now a lot of followers that were listening and adhering to what he was teaching. And so now there's, there's um, a level of jealousy coming up. And he, they're always looking to divide. So they test him because the truth is, no matter how he was going to answer this, some group of people was not going to be happy. Someone was not going to be happy with that answer. So they put it out there in public so that he'd have to address it. And so they ask him, they ask him this, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And the first thing that he does, just like he did when Satan met him in the desert to tempt him, he just quoted scripture. He quoted scripture from Genesis chapter 2, and he says, from the beginning, the creator made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And right there, right in this passage, the simple passage, Jesus defines what marriage is, what it's for how it works. It's something that is instituted by God. Not by man. This was a God creation, not a human creation. He also said it was, it was between the two first creations, male and female, came becoming one in marriage. And then the third is, they were made one flesh. These are the three points he answers simply by quoting scripture that is already there that these Pharisees ought to have No, he's just quoting scripture to them. But then he goes deeper and says this in verse six. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. And this is what I want to really grasp today: is this? Therefore, what God has joined together, this is not a man-made creation. What God has joined together, let no one separate. No person belongs separating what God has brought together. But yet it's implied through what he says, it's possible to happen. God brought this together, but we have the power and ability to work against what he has created, to break it off, to separate what he has joined. So they push it a little further and they say, Why, then, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce? and then send her away. And he explains that was not how it was from the beginning. But he didn't come, even though Moses didn't command it, they twisted his words. Moses didn't command divorce, but he made an allowance for it. He permitted it, and there's a reason for it, because of the hardness of man's heart. When we're hurt, when offense is given and taken, and we hold on to offense, things become hard it's hard to move forward when we become hard and we've stonewalled the person where that the offense came from, and now there's a break, and so he made a permit a, a permission for this, even though it's not it's not his will. It says in Malachi chapter two that God hates divorce. He hates this separation, this breakage. He desires. It says in Malachi two, he what his desire is godly offspring. This requires godly marriage. This is what he wants. But there's reasons that he hates divorce. And this is, I know, a very sensitive topic for many of us, especially for those who've like walked through this process of divorce before and now remarried or or single. This is not easy even to hear the word because of the mark that it leaves on us. Just the word uh, brings Sorrow. Or the feeling of loss and tragedy, regret, even guilt. It's really believed that I think one of the most painful experiences that we can go through in life. One person said that they believe that divorce is more painful than even loss of a loved one through death. Because even losing someone through physical death, it's what he called. Uh, a clean pain. It wasn't that somebody turned against you and rejected you and walked away, but it was a natural process. They passed away. Whereas divorce is usually a a dirty pain, saturated with all kinds of sin and offense and attacks, and it takes years of adjustment, and then you've got the practical side of it, the, the settlements and the courts, and then the kids and, and custody and, and all that other kind of stuff that follows with it. God hates that because it hurts. It's not his design. What God does is break down walls, break down barriers and bring things together. Our tendency outside of Christ is to build those walls. But the word of the Lord is what God has joined together, where he has broken down divisions, don't build them back up. Don't separate what he has joined. What he joins is not temporary, but it's for life. Breaking a marriage bond is never God's ideal will. Though, in case, and there are cases where, again, it's permissive, but it's not ideal. And why is this? Because a Christian marriage has purpose too. A Christian marriage is mainly meant to tell the truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a testimony. Our marriage relationship is a testimony. It's a a demonstration. It's an experience, even for us, of God's love, of his sacrifice, of his oneness and fruitfulness. And that's why marriage really has so many parallels to our relationship with Christ, because it's designed as a real-life demonstration of Jesus Christ and his people. This is what it is. And so it's our place to keep our marriage vows in such a way as to tell the truth about the unbreakable covenant love of God. Regardless of what conditions we encounter, there's a covenant. There's a commitment that is made. When I speak something, I follow through. It doesn't matter what I encounter on the way. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this in a marriage ceremony one time. He said, it is not your love that sustains the marriage, but it is your marriage that sustains the love. The decision and the follow-through of the commitment will always bring us back to that thing we're chasing after, that true, unconditional love. Feelings and desires, they will come and they will go and then they will come and then they will go, But covenant love is unchanging. It's a decision that is made, not an emotion that we chase. It's what steers our actions. What steers our actions has to always be our commitment over emotions, especially when it comes to marriage. This is why marriage starts always with something like this. I take you to be my wife to hold from this day forward for better or worse or richer or poorer in sickness and in health until death do us part. That's a commitment. Regardless of what I get back, I'm not talking about anything about what I get back. I'm telling you what I'm going to give you, regardless of what I get in return. That's a commitment. That's acknowledging what God is joining together. And this is, this is sometimes the confusing thing. Because when two people meet and they fall in love and they decide they want to get married and now the parents come and they support and they do all the preparation and the planning and the minister and the family all come together and they have this big ceremony. There's all these people involved, right? But the scripture says, God has joined them. People are involved and we're all part of it, but it is God that is supernaturally, mysteriously bringing together what once was two but now is one, it's together. And this is the, what I want to glean here, is grab this principle and move forward, because this isn't where we're sitting this morning, is this, God joins things together. This is what he does. And his caution to us is not to separate or go against or break off anything that he is bringing together. And he's using marriage to teach this principle, but this principle applies across the board what God has joined together. So what has God joined together? In your own life, what has God joined together? What has He joined you together with? We know that marriage is one of those things, but what about this? In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 24, I want to read a few verses. It says this, 1 Corinthians 12, 24, but God has put to the body together. Giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. What has God joined together? When we come to faith in Christ, he has joined us together with him and the body of Christ. He has joined us together as one. We are one body, and this is all over Scripture, and the principle applies even here. What God has joined together, don't let it be broken. Don't separate us. And really, this is similar to that principle with marriage. When when you're entering marriage, you don't even know what you're getting into, except taking it day by day, you come to realize what that is. It's the same exact thing when it comes to the body of Christ. When we accept Christ into our lives, and we decide to place our faith in Him. Yes, we're saved, and we're thinking, Me and you, Jesus, just me and you. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves in a a crowd of people and say, What is all this about? All I signed up for was Jesus. But there's more to it. When we come to Christ, there is so much more than we even realize involved in that. There's a family, it's a new identity. It's us being absorbed into the one body that He has joined together. And this now is our place. In this body is where we belong. And his caution stands here too. Let us not be separated or work to separate what God has joined. This is his work. I think this is a timely word for us, especially as we often struggle to operate really as one body. It's really a lot of times a principle that we think about or things that we speak. But when it comes to the practice of actively engaging one another in life, sharing lives, actually being community, spending more than an hour sitting in the same room together, that's not really community. It doesn't really look like one body to many observers. But he says that he has made us One body. This is how he wants us to live. Sometimes I feel it it feels like even though the wall has come down and he's put us all in this one room, we're really kind of staying all in our own corner. As if the wall were still there. There's no wall, but we're all kind of staying and keeping to our own. But he's pushing, he's saying, You are one. Be what I am making you. Accept it. Move with me, not against, but move with me. He is making us one. In Romans 11, there's an illustration used of a tree being grafted together. And he talks about how a tree can be grafted together. Like um, you may have seen fruit trees, I thought it was pretty neat, are able to take the root of a tree, be it an apple tree or a pear tree, whatever that is, and you can cut off a branch, you cut into that tree, and then you can take a fresh branch off of another tree and you tie that in there and it will grow and it will sustain. It is, it is literally grafted in and now that tree has become one. And you have a tree that will grow all different kind of fruits on that one same tree. They're all being nourished by that same root system. And he says, this is who we are. We all come from different places. We all come from different walks of life. We all have different interests and personalities, but we've been made one. We've been put together. We've been grafted together. Now we're being nourished by the same source. And he wants us there together. In John 17, Jesus' last prayer before being arrested in the garden, he's praying, God, that all, all Christians would be joined together As one. Now I don't know about you, but everything I see Jesus say in the Scripture was fulfilled. When he spoke to the storm and said, "Be still," it was still. When he spoke to that lame man and said, "Get up and walk," he got up and he walked. And so when he prays to the Father, make us one with the same oneness that the Trinity shares. I believe that's what he really wants, and that it's going to happen. But now it's for us to not work against it, not resist what our Father is moving us towards, that true oneness, that true connectedness. See, the Christian experience is living one with Christ and one with each other. It's never on our own. Christianity is not alone. Christianity means together. It's a new identity, a new family. And here's the thing, though. Being a Christian does not guarantee a life of a true Christian experience because we have the ability to resist it. Just like marriage, when we enter this thing, we discover we're finding out what exactly we got ourselves into. And for many, as we begin to learn what we got ourselves into, what we signed up for, we start to think twice. And then we will create boundaries of how far exactly we will go and no further. And here now is where the joining together halts. He wants us close together with that same spiritual oneness of the Trinity. And if we are saying this is as far as we will go, we will not encounter and be able to experience the full unity that God intends for us, the full power that he wants us to live in. We'll never know fully without accepting everything that comes with the territory. It's not comfortable. It's challenging. It's something that we don't even understand. But it happens one step at a time. We come to realize what exactly he wants. It's an active daily decision to move with Christ, to put our own desires away and put those things after what Jesus wants. When he says he wants us together, if he's prompting me to go and connect with someone and have a particular conversation or what have you, I need to say no to the thing that I am doing, to the thing that I would rather do, to say yes to his prompt to push me together. It's inevitable. And no matter how far we run or how long we try to procrastinate, the call will not change. He is pushing us together. He's not going to compromise and change his will for us because we're dragging our feet. He wants us together, and this as simple as that. And that takes us denying ourselves. A few weeks ago, we talked about what it takes to be a disciple. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. He leads us to one another. This is his desire. We won't attain that depth and that oneness with the body until it is commitment to Christ that drives us, until we're willing to sacrifice things to be with Jesus in his body. See, coming to Christ is completely free and it's liberating. There is freedom and salvation and forgiveness there, but following him costs us everything. We won't attain the oneness that he wants for us if we're chasing anything other than Christ himself, even if we're chasing that oneness, that in itself, we will not find what we're looking for unless Christ himself is what we're after and what we are willing to follow. We won't experience that oneness with Christ until we can deny ourselves for the will of God and put his desires first. Then, when we put his desires first, now we will begin to realize This experience of being a new creation in Christ. A new creation is made to do new things. When the old has gone, the new has come, now there's new work. Now there's new abilities. Now there's new purpose and intention. And we need to move with those. If we're this new creation trying to do the old things and remain in old ways, it doesn't jive. It's not going to work. He has made us from the very beginning to be one. This separation is caused by our resistance to follow his call together. And from the beginning of time, he's pushing us together. Despite what the challenges are, pushing us together. It's innate within every one of us. This, this deep desire inside to be one, to connect, to understand one another. Saved or not saved, it's within us. Even, even the world wants oneness trying to connect us together. There's a a feel, even among unbelievers, to be one and to connect. And so in response, the world will try and create this oneness, this connectedness that they desire. They'll create definitions and requirements and and boundaries of of what it means together and then try to pressure, pressure people to conform to those boundaries. This is even what the Pharisees were doing. Is it lawful? Am I allowed to, Tell me what I'm allowed to do, and now I, I know where my boundaries are. I'm going to go as far as I can up to these boundaries. Jesus' disciples even did this when they said to him, how many times do I have to forgive my brother when he sins against me? Tell me where, where the boundaries are. What's my quota that once I meet it, now I'm free to kick him to the curb once I've had enough? Tell me where my boundaries are. We're looking for these things so that we can create nice, clean boxes to fit people in. So then we know who's our people or who belongs in another box somewhere else outside. But man, if we're focusing on these things, what the boundaries are, we are looking in the wrong direction. He wants us together. And if looking to these boundaries, we're looking away from him. He's calling us this way. Come to me. Come together. Jesus, anytime he's approached with these questions, he throws the boundaries to the side and he says, come as you are. There are no limits. There are no restrictions. There is, just come to me as you are. Come, let's reason together. Let's be together. See, he's done the work that is needed to to be done for us to come together. There's no longer any work for us to do, but just accept his work and say, that's enough for me. Now I'm going to follow you. I'm going to surrender because you've done the work. I accept it. I'm going to come under that covering. I'm going to come under that righteousness. I'm going to accept the wall that's been broken down, and I'm going to pursue you now because there's an open pathway to you. It's accepting that. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that we're a new creation. What we used to be is gone, and now there's something new. There's a new design. There's new attention. So in our newness, what is our purpose? What is our work? What are we called to do? What God has joined together, let no man separate. Don't undo his work is number one we don't undo what God has given his life to create, bringing us together. Even when it means adversity and challenges, when we're being under attack and engaged, we don't run from adversity and we don't run and attack back, but we move towards adversity in love. I was reading recently in Exodus chapter 17, When Moses is in the desert with the Israelites. And as he's there, they're getting ticked off because they're thirsty and there's no water. So now they come and start screaming at him and saying, why did you even lead us here? Just to die in the middle of the desert. Moses runs to God and he says, these people are about to stone me. What do you want me to do? And the first words out of God's mouth is go stand in front of them. Go back to them. They want to stone me. Go give them a target. Don't go attack. Don't go show uh, with a show of force. Go and present yourself. And now you're giving me an opportunity to move in a way that I couldn't if you were to run away. Follow me. He wants us together. And if we, even in the face of adversity, push ourselves together, even when we don't want to, but we know God wants us to, still move and follow him, that's when God can do something special that we never could have thought or imagined. He wants us together. So we not, not only need to not work against him and undo what he is creating, but now work with him, even when it's hard. In the garden in John chapter 18, Jesus was there praying, and he knew that the soldiers were on his way to, on their way to get him. And as they approached with swords and torches and weapons, they say they're looking for Jesus, and he says, here I am. He didn't run from the trial. He ran towards it because there's purpose there. It's through that 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 the depth of that oneness is found. It's through that. Even the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20, he says that he is being urged to go to Jerusalem and continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says this, he says in verse 23 of Acts 20, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are going to face me. But even that is not enough for him to stop and turn the other way. As believers, we are one. And as we're growing in Christ and growing together, you can guarantee struggle. You can guarantee challenges, but that's okay. The Lord says, take heart because I have overcome. And now the victory is ours. All that is ours now to do is to walk and surrender and move as he's joining us together. The last scripture I want to uh, reference here is from Second. Corinthians chapter five. And in second Corinthians chapter five, it, Paul says that we have been made in this new creation. We have been made ministers of reconciliation. In other words, we are people that bring others together to God. We bring people back to their purpose. This is who we are in this new creation. So not only do we avoid going against God, but now in this new creation, I have the ability to work with God as his ambassador and bring together what has been separated, to heal what has been broken. This is our ministry. This is our work. This is our calling. Acknowledge what God is joining together and work with him to join those things together. And it starts with us. It starts here. Can you imagine if we saw one another the way that God sees us, as really joined together as one body? Imagine if we realized that our commitment to Christ was really a commitment to one another. Imagine if we were able to accept fully the work that he has done and make this conscious commitment, just like we do at the marriage ceremony, I, Ed Pichette, take you, the body of Christ, to be my brothers and sisters. From this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish you until death do us part. Imagine if we, could under, if we could come and understand our commitment to Christ is my commitment to you, and then live that way. It's costly. But man, we will change the world if we can do that. Because nothing can stop us. And God has every opportunity to move through his body in supernatural ways in this world and truly transform this place to a new creation through all of us, the new creations. See, but before we grow, we have to have something that's worth spreading. We're not there yet. We're not there as a church here at Graceway. We're not there really as as the church of Christ on Aquidneck Island or beyond in the region. We're not there in this place where we're that strong, our commitment to one another. We're growing. He's doing this in us, but we're not there. But here in our church, we're not trying to build a crowd. We want to build community. We're not trying to grow. It might be nice, but that's not our aim. Our focus is to be healthy. Our focus is to be whole. There's a lot of things that we could be doing as a church just to get more people here. But we have intentionally not done those things because we aren't just trying to get numbers, just get more and more people. We want to make disciples. We want to be a community of believers. We want to grow as one and work with God and joining our lives together. It takes time. We have to grow deep roots to maintain the branches and all of the fruit that is going to come in the future. But first, the root structure has to be there. And this is what we're building now. It's difficult. It takes so much time. It's challenging, but it's so worth it when we begin to bear the fruit. So for now, rather than inviting people to church, this is my challenge. Instead of inviting people in your life to church, invite people from church into your life. Nurture what God has joined together. Move with him and be careful the whole while not to undo the work that he is doing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that as you are amongst us, you are amongst us constantly, gently calling us to yourself. And as we all pursue you, our one common aim, we find ourselves coming closer and closer together. And so, Lord, even as we pursue you, may we be intentional to acknowledge our pursuit of one another. Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts, that we would no longer seek justification for the decisions that we make and the way that we're living, but rather we would be Soft in our heart and moldable, so that when you are steering us in a direction, we wouldn't make justification or or reason why we can't go there, but we would simply acknowledge your call, your drawing, and then put our will aside in exchange for your will. We can't do this on our own, God, because the truth is, it's not fun it's difficult, it's intimidating. But I know that you are calling us to live in a new level of oneness that goes against the grain of this world, that goes even against the grain of of the, the common church. But God, complete your work within us. Let it not be undone, but continue to join us together. And as we find the richness of being one with you and each other, I pray that that would spread like wildfire, that it would be contagious, that everywhere that we go, people I, I know will be magnetized to the body of Christ simply because of what we share with each other. Not because we're going and trying to evangelize the world, but because of what they see in us. They see you. They see a love that is supernatural. They see a bond and a connection in a, in a group of people that cannot be found anywhere else in this world with you driving us. We surrender it all to you. Complete your work, Father. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.